Hello and welcome back to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church in Winter Springs, Florida. Please forgive any noise you may be hearing from behind you. Uh, I'm recording this from home this week while some guys uh, rip out the tub in my kid's bathroom. It's been a week. It's been a week. Uh, This past Sunday was week two of our The Gospel According to Sinead series. Uh, The song we took a look at this week is called Black Boys on Mopeds, and it was Sinead O'Connor's sort of... um, sort of uh, a question back to uh, the British government uh, after their response to uh, the massacre in Tiananmen Square in Beijing, basically saying, hey, why so much outrage about this killing of unarmed people in China when the same sorts of things are happening in England, the same sorts of things are happening uh, all over the UK. And uh, so it's it's an honest, um, difficult sort of like, hey, we, we need to... Uh, <laughs> to honestly, to put it in Bible terms, we need to take the log out of our own eye before we start looking at specks in other people's eyes. It's a challenging message. It's a challenging topic. Uh, so we just invite you as you're going into it, um, be open-minded to it. Um, let it let it do its thing. Let God uh, work in your heart and in your mind as you listen. Um, work really hard to overcome any sorts of uh, barriers that might automatically be thrown up uh, by the subject matter Um, and sort of open yourself up to what God might be uh, trying to show you or teach you through this message. This is from our lead pastor Seth Kane. This is week two of the Gospel According to Sinead. Good morning. Welcome. I'm so very glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name is Seth, and this is The Foundry, where we're all about a better you and a better world. A couple things real quick. One, this is really sweet. Last week, my daughter was here early, and she left me a note on my stand that I didn't know, and she said, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's very sweet. Don't tell her I said that. She's not in here, so I don't... Uh, the other thing is, we have uh, a special uh, guest here this morning with us, Mr. Hank Taylor and his wife, Tiffany. <laughs> Hank, give him a round of applause. There they are. In case you don't know, Hank used to work here, and then he got big time, and he went up north. He's at a big church doing bigger things, and he's like, I appreciate you remembering the small people, so thank you for that. Uh, no, we love Hank, of course, and we're glad he's here, so feel free to say hey to him. Um, now, last week, uh, we kicked off this series, The Gospel According to Sinead, where we looked at a little bit of her background and her history, and then we looked at her performance from SNL in 1992, and we talked about this idea about how, like, as being a follower of Christ, we shouldn't fear what we might lose when we take a stand for what is right, but rather, we should uh, anticipate what we might gain. Okay, so this week we move on, but before we do, a, a couple things. First of all, just in case like you're new here, <laughs> or this is your first or second time, like, uh, this series is called The Gospel According to Sinead. When we say this, we don't mean that Sinead is the gospel, okay? <laughs> Let's, that's not what we're saying. Uh, and the point of, of any of these, if you've been here the past couple years, The Gospel According To's, has always been, um, it's never been to point to this person and say, be exactly like this person. It's, except Mr. Rogers, maybe. You could be like him. Um, but our point is to point to the truths of Christ uh, that show through both the good and the bad of these well-known individuals. 
right? So like we said last week, Sinead is a lot. She, she was not perfect. We are aware of this. Do we agree with everything that she said and stood for? Of course not. What, uh, j- just because we don't agree with everything doesn't mean that there's not some nuggets of truth and good stuff within it, okay? So just keep that in mind as we move forward. There's still stuff that we can learn from her life. The second thing is this, and I know some of you are aware of this, but some of you, because you all sent me the same text message about the update this week about uh, her, her death. Remember last week we said there, there was some uncertainties and they hadn't officially given a ruling on her official cause of death? Well, on Tuesday of this week, the coroner released a statement that said, uh, an official statement that said her cause of death was natural causes. So just kind of weird timing. I appreciate you guys keeping me apprised of it, all of you. <laughs> so in case you didn't know, now you know. Huh? Who got it first? Uh, who got it first? Well, that, I mean, I don't want to. Actually, I'll tell you, it was Patty. It was Patty Mertz. <laughs> the first one was from Patty, so in y'all's faces. Um, uh, okay, so we move on, and in order to move on, we actually, uh, we're going to go backwards a couple of years on our Sinead timeline. If you haven't noticed, we're going in like this timeline order of her life and music. So two years prior to her SNL performance, Sinead had released her second album, which was I Don't Want What I Haven't Got. Okay, this album contained one of her most widely recognized songs, Nothing Compares to You. But also on this album, there was this beautiful acoustic song called Black Boys on Mopeds. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to take a listen to the song, and then we're going to uh, unpack it a little bit, and then we're going to re-listen to it, and then we're going to talk about some other stuff, and then we'll be done, okay? So today, we're having our uh, wonderful folks over here, Mr. Joseph and Ms. Savannah, Vanna, uh, Savannah, and, uh, huh, both, both, okay, okay, and they're going to sing it for us, listen, and again, if you have your Church Center app and want to see the lyrics, Go to the sermon notes and then uh, click on sermon, then click on sermon notes, and the lyrics will be in there so you can follow along, okay? All right, take a listen. <clears throat> Margaret Thatcher on TV Shocked by the deaths that took place in Beijing It seems strange that she should be offended The same orders are given by her I've said this before now You said I was childish and you'll say it now Remember what I told you If they hated me, they will hate you England's not the mythical land of Madame George and Roses. It's the home of police who kill black boys on mopeds. And I love my boy. That's why I'm leaving. I don't want him to be aware that there's any such thing as grieving. 
Young mother down at Smithfield 5 a.m. looking for food for her kids In her arms she holds three cold babies And the first word that they learned was dangerous days to say what you feel is to dig your own grave remember what I told you if you were of the world they would love you England's not the mythical land of Madame George and Roses. It's the home of police who kill black boys on mopeds. And I love my boy. That's why I'm leaving. I don't want him to be aware that there's any such thing as grieving. good very good very good now just like last week there's a lot of stuff going on here there's a lot of significance in in what she's singing but a lot of that significance will only make sense like in the historical context and once you understand the historical context this song explodes with meaning and significance so let's start with this the opening stanza the opening phrase if you're looking at your notes says this margaret thatcher on tv shocked by deaths that took place in beijing it seems strange that she should be offended the same orders given by her. Now, some of you may remember this, but in, this album came out in 1990. In 1989, in the spring, there was some political unrest in China. There was this growing sentiment amongst uh, college, university students, and many others that China was in need of, of some political and economic reform. So there had been all these demonstrations and protests pushing this reform, and this did not sit well with the Chinese government. So on the evening of June 3rd and 4th, 1989, everything finally came to a bit of a head. Thousands of people gathered in Tiananmen Square for a peaceful demonstration. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot to the story we don't have time to get into, but the end result of everything was that the government eventually declared martial law, and they suppressed this demonstration by force. This became known as the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Now, the number of deaths uh, reported has been debated for years because of how everything played out, but it, it, uh, people say either a couple hundred people were killed or several thousand people were killed. So here's a photo of the square leading up to everything. You can see this is just kind of a peaceful protest. You've got the guards on one side and the, the protesters on the other. Uh, here's the next photo. Uh, th this became quite popular during the time. I don't know if you've seen this, but this is known as Tank Guy. I absolutely love this, that when the government began to bring in the tanks to like kind of disperse protesters, this one guy took a stand and also apparently he was on his way home from the grocery store. I don't, I don't know what he's doing, but it's pretty brave. He was like, let me get my supplies and also take a stand 
against the government, but good for him, I guess. Um, and then without getting too graphic here, here's some of the end result uh, of the afternoon, of, of the aftermath of this. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. This is a uh, tragic, horrific event. Um, the effects of which were felt around the world. Uh, most every nation came out with a statement against the Chinese government about this. So Prime Minister at the time of the UK, Margaret Thatcher, she publicly addressed the situation to her nation and to the world as would be expected. And she expressed uh, in, her, in her speech, she said, utter revolution and outrage. And then she went on to say that she was appalled by the indiscriminate shooting of unarmed people. Okay, so the first line of the song, Margaret Thatcher on TV, shocked by the deaths that took place in Beijing. It seems strange that she would be offended the same orders given by her. Okay, now we're going to skip, if you're looking at the lyrics of that song, we're going to skip the second stanza and go to the third one. Okay, we'll come back to the second one. She says, uh, England is not the mythical land of Madame George and Roses. It's the home of police who kill black boys on mopeds. So Madame George is a reference to a song by the Northern Irish singer Van Morrison, the musician, if you're familiar with him. He wrote this 10-minute song. He improvised, actually, a 10-minute long song that's kind of about like everything and nothing all at the same time. Um, But it kind of paints this picture of like a sunny past and a sunny present. So she says, uh, it's not the home of Madame George and roses. Okay, roses have been associated with England for a long time. It's the national flower of England, and it actually is connected to the unification of the country after the War of Roses. There was a civil war called the War of the Roses that was happening, and then this red rose became the symbol of the unification of, of the, the families and moving forward. So Sinead says, England is not the mythical land of Madame George and roses. Then she says, it's the home of the police who kill black boys on mopeds. Now, two things about this. As Sinead's career began to take off, she moved to London, right? She grew up in, in Ireland under the, uh, under the hand of the UK, and she experienced some of the oppression of being Irish. She lived through that. But then after being in London, she witnessed firsthand the racism uh, in Britain and the lack of response from the government under Margaret Thatcher's like, rule, right? So Sinead, speaking of this song in this time, she says this about what was happening. This was at a time when there was a terrible scandal in London about black men going missing in police stations. It was a time in London also when if a burglar was apprehended, he was reported as a black burglar or alternatively, an Irish burglar. There was a lot of tension created between the Londoners on the one hand and the Jamaicans and the Irish on the other. So her album that came out in 1990, I don't want what I haven't got. This was the album cover. I want you to see this. Right? I don't want what I haven't got. This is a very sweet, innocent Sinead. She's just a, she's just a nice, quiet little girl singing songs. Now, uh, if you open that album, on the inside cover is a different picture. Here's this picture. Uh, this is a picture of a young boy named young boy, a, a young man named Colin Roach, uh, and this is a photo of Colin Roach's parents. They're standing in the rain, uh, and you can see this picture of him. Uh, this was a, a protest photo that was taken of, of all the family, and the picture of him is uh, fr- from during the protest. And so Colin Roach is a young man who died as a result of a gunshot wound after entering in a police station. His death was ruled a suicide, but 
There was mass outrage at this because so much evidence pointed to the contrary. Many people were calling it a cover-up. Many people were protesting the injustice of the whole situation. It was, this was a big deal. Colin, Colin's death sparked uh, this uprising within the civil rights movement in, in Britain. And British uh, poet Benjamin Zephaniah had this to say about this whole scene. He said, the mood in the community at the time wasn't just about Colin Roach. It was about all the other cases of racial injustice taking place. And he represented the extreme. There was a tangible feeling of, who is next? It could happen to me. So in 1989, Sinead dedicates her album to, uh, in 1998 comes out, she dedicates her album to Colin Roach. And, and this, is that, it, this is that photo. This is that photo. And underneath it, um, it says, God's place is in the world, but the world is not God's place. God's place is in the world, but the, God, uh, but the world is not God's place. So you have this Colin Roach incident happen in 1983. In 1989, there's another incident that takes place near where Sinead is living at the time, involving another young black man named Nicholas Bramble. Nicholas Bramble was riding a moped, a moped that he owned. He ended up being pursued by white police officers who made the assumption that the moped was not his. They began to chase him. He began to try to get away. He wrecked his moped. He went to the hospital and he died because of his injuries. And then the death was ruled an accident. The big question that they never really got to, of course, was why did they pursue a black man riding his own moped to begin with? So Sinead writes, England is not the mythical land of Madame George and Roses. And then she says, it's the home of the police who kill black boys on mopeds. So in 1983, you have Colin Roach. In 1989, you have Nicholas Bramble. In 1989, you have the Tiananmen, Tiananmen Square massacre in which Margaret Thatcher gets on the TV and talks about how she's appalled at the killing of the unarmed people. And then in 1990, Sinead releases an album with the picture of Colin Roach's family on the inside and this song that says, Margaret Thatcher on TV, shocked by the deaths that took place in Beijing. It seems strange that she would be offended when the same orders are given by her. England is not the mythical land of Madame George and Roses. It's the home of police who kill black boys on mopeds. Do you see how pointed this song is? She's condemning the hypocrisy of the then Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, for, for criticizing the human rights violations in China while allowing deeply racist climate to continue in the UK. So Sinead is like, how can you condemn that over there without also condemning that which is happening right here, which you actually have the power to do something about? I mean, can you believe the injustice and the racial issues that they had to deal with in their country. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but I mean, at least this was happening like 35 years ago, so that's like in the past, I'm sure. I'm sure that's... Except, I did find this article this week um, that said up until 2015, nine years ago, that the descendants of slave owners in the UK are, were still being compensated for their losses of property since slavery was abolished in 1807. They actually didn't let them go until 1838 because that's when they started to get compensation. 
This has been happening up until nine years ago. And this compensation was coming out of the pockets, the taxpayers' pockets. Can you imagine being a black person in the UK 10 years ago, paying your taxes to the government, who was using your money to pay the ancestors of the people who owned your ancestors? But again, this is their stuff. It's all in the past. Except um, there was this other article I found uh, on June 5th, June 5th, 2020. There were two black women uh, who were sisters who were uh, attacked. They were stabbed to death and they were thrown into some bushes. And uh, the article said that uh, the officers that were supposed to be protecting, the white officers that were supposed to be protecting the crime scene, um, they took selfies with the women who had been stabbed and sent it to their friends and made jokes about it. They were fired. They went to jail for a little bit, I believe. This happened uh, 13 days after the George Floyd incident in Minneapolis. But again, this is about the UK and their issues. In an interview in 2021, Sinead said this about this song. Um, oh, what she was asked about the song, and she said this, which is beautiful and sad, and you'll see that when she says this. She says, I get very sad when, uh, it's actually beautiful though, but when the song gets the most, you know, applause from the audience when I first start singing the lines is actually black boys on mopeds. It's more popular and nothing compares, and that's gorgeous. But I always am thinking every night, oh my God, isn't it sad that this is still so relevant, you know, after 30 years? Okay, verse 3, she says, young mother down at Smithfields, 5 a.m., looking for food for her kids. In her arms, she holds three cold babies, and the first word that they learned was please. Now, I couldn't find anything directly related to this other than Smithfields was a, whole, whole, uh, a wholesale market in central London, but I did find out that there were some big uh, welfare reforms that took place in the 90s in the UK, which were rooted in some issues that were happening in the 80s, so I, I suspect that she's pointing to some of this as well. Now, let's look at verses 2, two and 4, Sanders 2 and 4, because what you see Sinead doing is she's actually quoting Jesus... Uh, who's talking to his disciples. So in, in verse 2, Sinead sings, I said this before now. You said I was childish, I'll say, uh, and you'll say it now. Remember what I told you. If they hated me, they will hate you. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is what Jesus tells his disciples. Then in verse 4, she says, These are dangerous days. To say what you feel is to dig your own grave. Remember what I told you. If you were of the world, they would love you. So she's acknowledging the fact that she's calling some things out here and understands the problems and the pain that might come with it. And then she quotes John chapter 15, verse 19, in which she says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So to me, it's like she's pointing out this hypocrisy within the systems, but she's also trying to provide this sense of solidarity. If people hated Jesus, who was the Son of God, whose mission was peace and love and healing, then the reality of racism 
shouldn't really be a, like a big surprise. It doesn't make it right. We, we, we have to do better. Our cultures have to do better. We as individuals have to do better. But we shouldn't be surprised at people with close-minded, judgmental attitudes and actions. People hated Jesus because he was, he was a threat to the system. He loved the outcast. He invited everyone to his table. He, he, he upset the social hierarchy. Oh, well, no, some, some are up here, some are down here. No, Jesus is like, no, 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 we, that's not what we're doing. We're not separating or sorting or drawing lines here. We're opening and expanding and including more and more people. Okay, now that you have a little bit of background and idea about what was going into the song, I want to listen to it again and see if it hits you a little bit differently. on TV Shocked by the deaths that took place in Beijing It seems strange that she should be offended The same orders are given by her I've said this before now You said I was childish And you'll say it now Remember what I told you If they hated me They will hate you England's not the mythical land of Madame George and Roses. It's the home of police who kill black boys on mopeds. And I love my boy. That's why I'm leaving. I don't want him to be aware that there's any such thing as grieving. Young mother down at Smithfield Five am looking for food for her kids In her arms she holds three cold babies And the first word that they learned was are dangerous days to say what you feel is to dig your own grave remember what I told you if you were of the world they would love you England's not the mythical land of 
It's the home of police who kill black boys on mopeds And I love my boy, that's why I'm leaving I don't want him to be aware that there's any such thing as grieving make a difference? A few thoughts about all this. <clears throat> uh, I really think this should cause us to examine our hearts and our minds, as well as the, the systems that we live in. You know, Galatians 5.28 says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says that in and through Christ, all the lines that we as humans use to draw, to categorize, to separate, to hold down, to elevate, in Christ these are all erased. This is a statement about the vastness of Christ that speaks to the dissolving of barriers and boundaries concerning race and nationality and social hierarchies and even gender. We are all one in Christ. We are one family. We are one people we are not our color, we are not our gender, we are not our nationality. What we are is that we are all children of the divine. And so when we use some arbitrary labeling system to separate, to divide ourselves, we are standing in opposition to who we were created to be, how we were created to operate. We, 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 we do this to the detriment of ourselves and to each other and to the divine calling on how we've been created to live. John talks about the dangers of this in 1 John. He gives us these pretty stern warnings if you've never paid attention to it, but let's see what it says here. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar, for we are all one in Christ. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. John says, if you cannot love your brother or sister who you have seen, then you cannot love God who you have not seen. He is a judgmental attitude towards others based on the color of their skin, differences of culture, or maybe even a difference of opinion, loving your brother or sister. He is the allowance of racial injustice, loving our brother or sister. And actually, if you back up one chapter, John goes even harder on this. He takes it, he takes it from, if you can't love others, you can't love God. And he gives us like this double gut punch. Watch what he says here, John chapter, 1 John chapter 3. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. If anyone hates their brother or sister, well, we're all one in Christ. If anyone hates their brother or sister, they are a murderer. No, no eternal life is residing in them. 
Well, but hate's a strong word, Seth. I don't, I don't hate anyone. I just think that they blah, 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 blah. The word for hate here in the Greek text is interesting. It's the word misos. It means hatred, to detest, especially to persecute. Uh, by extension, to love less, disregard, be indifferent to, to regard with less affection. Oh, I don't hate anyone. Okay, do you disregard the pain, the suffering, the plight of some groups more than others? Well, I don't hate anyone. Okay, are you indifferent to their struggles because they live in a different tax bracket? Well, I don't hate anyone. Well, do you have less affection towards some groups than you do towards your group? So not only that, not only does John say uh, that, that to hate a brother or sister is to be a murderer and no murderer has eternal life residing within him, he says it's not just enough to not hate someone, but if there is a lack, if there is a lack that is being experienced by someone, then it is our responsibility to get involved, whether it's a lack of material possessions, a lack of equality, a lack of fairness, a lack of justice. John says, how can the love of God be in a person who can't give themselves to helping or lifting up of others? We are all one in Christ. Now, by the way, if you're feeling a little bit like, ouch, yeah, that's the point. Me too. It's a lot. This isn't supposed to be like a warm, cozy blanket of a message. This is to be a, like a, 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 to dive deep into our own hearts and minds, to take a look into those dark shadow crevice areas and say, what's really going on in here? This isn't a message of love and hope for you because it's a message of love and hope for all of humanity, which, by the way, is what, like, sits at the heart of the gospel, the good news. The good news is that for all people, Christ came to offer salvation, and the good news is that Christ came to offer salvation not just for the sake of eternal life, but for the sake of the life that is now for the eternal present that all of humanity might be set free, that those who are being marginalized and oppressed would be set free, but also those who are doing the marginalizing and the oppressing might be set free from those particular patterns of thought that they have been trapped by. It's for all. Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. In order for us to actually live this out, we have to be bold enough to examine the interior, to go into those places that we often hide or the places that we hide from. We have to be brave enough to ask the Spirit to convict us, not just for the sake of us, but for the sake of us being able to love our neighbors better, for the sake of loving all of God's children the way God loves all of God's children. One more thought here and we'll wrap up. And maybe, hopefully, this will be a bit of an encouragement here for you. Second Corinthians chapter 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What is the worldly point of view? The worldly point of view is that some are better than others. Some are up here and some are down here. The worldly point of view is that there are these lines that we use to separate and divide and keep us apart. The worldly point of view is that we are somehow anything other than one beautifully diverse family and that we are all children of God. When he says that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, he gave us the message and the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is what? It's the act of reconciling. And what does it mean to reconcile? If you look up this word in in the Webster Dictionary, here's, here's the very first definition of this. Reconcile. To restore to friendship or harmony. To restore to friendship or harmony. Something was broken. Something is off. And now it's been made right. So we could read this passage this way. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. All of this is from God who restored to us to harmony with God through Christ and gave us the ministry, the message of restoring friendship or harmony. And he says, you are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through you. God has given us the message and the ministry to restore friendship. God has given us the message and the ministry to restore harmony. Maybe the next question is, what do we really mean by harmony? Well, here's a few definitions of harmony. The combination of simultaneous musical notes and a chord. Okay, we get that. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. Pleasing arrangements of parts. Yeah, that's cool. An interweaving of different accounts into a single narrative. It's, a, it's this idea that that which is separate and maybe different is like brought together as a whole, as one, uh, to, to create calm, to create peace, to create something that is actually better together than the individual parts themselves. So if we find ourselves in, in a place, maybe it's our families, maybe it's our communities, maybe it's our culture, where there is this disharmony, where things may be out of whack, where things may be off kilter, where any of our brothers and sisters, we're all one in Christ, where any of our brothers and sisters are experiencing a lack, then we have been given this mission to step into the disharmony, to participate in the bringing of harmony, whether that lack is spiritual need, whether that lack is material need, whether that lack is equality, whether that lack is justice, whether that lack is something within the system. We are never invited to sit on the sidelines and watch. We are never invited to be bystanders. We are invited and instructed to roll up our sleeves, to get our hands dirty with the business of bringing harmony into the world in which we live. We should be the ones standing up against injustice wherever we find it. You know, under that photo of of the Roach family, Sinead wrote, God's place is in the world, but the world is not God's place. You see, I think when we understand the ministry of reconciliation, it allows us to understand that, yes, God's place is in the world, but I think it also empowers us to do the difficult work of bringing harmony, of making the world God's place. God's place is in the world, and we are making it God's place.
And there is week two of the Gospel According to Sinead, uh, focusing on the song Black Boys on Mopeds. As I said in the intro, and as Seth you know, uh, mentioned during the message, it's a, it's a bit of a tough subject matter uh, for us. Uh, in our country as well, you know, Seth sort of half-jokingly said, oh, at least this is their problem over there 30 years ago. But of course, we know that that's not the case. We know that uh, racial injustice and uh, feelings of racism uh, from some people towards other people um, are still a part of life. And there's still something that uh, we need to be aware of, we need to confront uh, in, in a loving way, but in a, in a direct way and in a um, restorative way, if at all possible. Um, because we are all God's children. It sounds so, it's like silly and cliche to say it that way. Uh, but we are all made in the image of God. We all share that divine image, that divine spark. And we are all, every single one of us, worthy of love and respect and, um, and, and called to give love and respect to all people. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, in one of those accounts, he went on to uh, be asked, well, who is my neighbor? And he told a story that basically meant your neighbor is the person you would be expected to hate the most. That person is also your neighbor, in addition to the people who look like you and believe like you and vote the way that you do and all that kind of stuff. So we hope that you'll take this uh, call into this week with you. Uh, to love others, to seek justice, to seek uh, restoration and reconciliation. And we hope that we'll see you back here next week on the Foundry Church Podcast. Until then, have a great week.